0: And so begins the thrilling conclusion of our discussion of The Windflower Part 2. We open with our new change of location from the ship to jolly old England. Yeah, the the England move is weird for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is that it feels tonally off. This idea that, like, you're being punished with florid prose versus, like, no, this is actually contextually what this thing is and it's really hard to describe and I think that's one of the spaces where romance really can shine is like these are really hard feelings to describe let me try it what would it be like to ride a unicorn naked um it would kind of feel like Like, how would the soft hairs of the unicorns withers against your naked breasts feel? Withers. They feel like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what do these withers feel like on my boobs?
0: My naked breasts. Uh, there are a lot of boobs in the old ones. I forget how much boob is active in the
1: 80s. When people believe, like, argue with you about how everything is culturally constructed, it's like, look at romance novels talking about boobs and like... Look at them today and the way they talk about butts. Like, we're all on the ebb and flow of time.
2: <laughs> It was like the signifier of sexuality
0: at that point. Like, mm mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. <laughs> like, she's a woman yeah. on this boat. Look at her boobs. She's
0: a nubile 18-year-old who knows nothing about the world, but she's well-endowed, so.
1: And, like, big, thick, curly, strawberry blonde hair. <laughs> Yeah, I really had a
2: hard time picturing Mary. I was like, that doesn't seem like a person I've ever... Sure.
1: I think she was supposed to look like the Venus coming out of the sea. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. Her... They say that a lot.
2: And her hair, like... I know her hair looked nasty. Like, I know... You've been on a pirate ship for a really long time. Like, your hair looks nasty. <laughs> yeah, Nobody's yeah. acknowledging it. It's fine.
1: Yeah. She was stranded on an island for a week. She got malaria. Probably <laughs> was vomiting and probably pooping a little bit on her own hair. Because it was very long. <laughs> the crocodile encounter? The crocodile encounter. Yeah, she got malaria. She's covered in bug bites.
0: She buried a body like Mary's been through some stuff.
1: Mary goes through so much in this book. She goes through so much adventure (laughs) and every man she encounters is just charming (laughs) and you're sad to see them go. Like the only not charming man in this book is the villain. Everyone else is like very endearing. Or not, maybe even not very endearing, like, because Rand is difficult.
0: But endearing in his own way, like, you know, there's that scene where he's giving her opium that first night on the boat where he's like, oh, I know, kitten, you don't feel good. This, you know, like, even in those moments, I found Rand charming despite myself, even though I think I found him also the most dangerous until our titular villain was finally on page.
1: It knocks my socks off that this book came out before Muppets Treasure Island because I read Rand so clearly as Tim Curry and I read him as Kevin Klein.
2: Oh, oh, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> this is really great.
0: Yeah, it's just really it was hard to like I understood him as a threat. And mostly because other people kept telling me that he was a threat. Yeah, I think there's, like, an
2: understanding that, like, he's probably not going to hurt her. But, like, he was still able to communicate to Mary that he was like, hey, there's a line. And if you cross this line, that is when you get hurt. Otherwise, we're going to be okay." And I think that, like, it makes it quite clear, like, that's how Rand is with everybody, um, he has his own, like, he has a very strict code of when he enacts in violence and when he doesn't. Um, and he's always clear about that. Like, and that's kind of the scary thing is that, you know, where you stand with him because he, he will absolutely follow through. Uh, which is unlike Valentine, I guess, who had to like punish Raven, uh, and was just like, ah, we got to do this in a way that nobody's favorite boy gets (laughs) hurt
1: yeah where it's like
0: that whole scene was so weird where (laughs) like the idea that like you have to get your licks in because that's going to maintain the rigid hierarchy of the pirate ship and what you did while understandable because we're all in love with mary like Raven drew steel on Valentine when he's like, you don't have to jump into the deep, dark ocean to save her. She's already being saved by Devin And then Raven pulls out like his boot knife and he's like, I'm going to jump into the water. And then they have to send a boat after him, which was adorable. But the fact that he drew steel on Valentine meant that he needed to get stripes on board. Which is like, okay, like what a weird, what a weird heroic depiction of like why violence is okay in a hierarchy. Like, and everyone's like, we just have to do it. And like, the less you talk about it, the faster it's over. It's like definitely felt like a conversation about corporeal punishment for like a very stubborn child that you don't want to curb too much. And like that felt like very 1984 to me. Just
1: because we're on a pirate ship doesn't mean we don't believe in law and order yeah
0: there's rules if you draw steel
2: it doesn't matter if you're everyone's favorite himbo like you gotta do it
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly no one's exempt no special treatment mary being this like super beloved character so i'm still like wrestling with this like cast of charming men around Mary and then how we end up with Devin who's arguably the least charming at least in the first act of the book and I don't think I was like I did not find Devin winsome like I found him like funny he's funny dialogue but like I I didn't find him winsome until Mary is stricken with malaria the post-malaria Mary So I I have two questions that I'm wrestling with, and I want y'all's opinion. Okay. So first of all, I think I understand why we make Mary, like, she don't know she's beautiful, the most, like, adored woman who ever lived but was, like, never raped in a 1984 romance novel. It's because Mary had, like, books published at this time, like, that's – what they all say, right? She's so beautiful and so self unself aware. Unless Judith Ivory is writing it. But like she's so beautiful and she's so unself aware and and innocent. Why add in so much uh competition for Devon? And then why make the love part after Mary is stricken with malaria? Like how is this book leveraging the whiff of death here because that point about raven is like that scene not only shows like hey like you know we're rule followers but also clearly states the stakes of being on a pirate ship rand is very specific and you always know where he stands we also get like a conversation from cook where he talks about like when there's no wind and you run out of food and you're like trapped on this ship and so this idea of clear stakes but then instead they're like and she gets malaria and now we're on an island and that's what's going to bring them together i guess that's kind of like feels messy yeah i mean i think you were kind of like
2: right on it when like a lot of the romance novels and around this time period they had like this um a venus heroine um someone that everybody is in love with in spite of themselves um, what I think the Windflower does interesting with it and what I think doesn't happen in some books like by Woodowiss and McNaught are that like Mary is like humanized and like they kind of make her kind of gross in some ways like not like books wise never but like she she calls herself an awkward overprotected girl child and I think kind of like her relationship with Devin. Part of the banter is the power imbalance and how Mary doesn't is never really on Devin's level and doesn't really understand what Devin's saying and Devin never really like tries to explain to Mary like his jokes or anything. Like we're reading the jokes and we're kind of laughing at them, but we're not really sure if Mary understands exactly what Devin is saying. And I think though the scene with Malaria, the scene where Mary is taken out. Everybody kind of realizes like, oh, these few months on a pirate ship, like we had kind of been, they had, they, in their minds, they had been treating Mary very well, but they still kidnapped her. They still like, were like, she was eating like oatmeal or like things with maggots in them. Like she was like a gently raised girl who was kind of shy and hadn't really interacted with men before. And I think the malaria scene was the first time that everyone was like, oh, she could actually get hurt. Like, we thought that if we didn't hurt her, she would be fine. Like, we're hardy. What happened? Um, and that was kind of like, and that was also like when it said, they said that Devin realized that he was in love with Mary. Um, it does bring it back to her looks at some point, like towards the end, they said that she like Devin didn't care what she looked like when she had malaria and that cat even like removed the mirrors around their house so that Mary wouldn't know that she wasn't beautiful anymore i suppose (laughs) well she had malaria yeah i think that was kind of like it was it was and it was the malaria incident is also when kat and devon have that big confrontation about like what exactly is devon doing with mary because she's he's been keeping her around and like everybody kind of knows at this point that mary isn't really dangerous Um, And that's the excuse that Devin has been clinging to in order to keep her on the ship because Devin is attracted to Mary and Devin really likes Mary. But like Devin, even if he thinks she's a spy, he knows she's not a very good one. Like her made up husband name was Jeremiah Jones, (laughs) which he called biblical and alliterative. (laughs) Like it. Mary Mary is like clearly in over her head. She's not a danger to anyone. So it's kind of like Mary's malaria scene is kind of like a reckoning for everyone where they realize that their actions have consequences. Um, Mm. And they, they kind of fight it out in a weird way. I don't really fully understand Devin and Kat's fight. I guess I kind of do. I think Kat sees Mary as himself because we find out at the end that because we think the whole time that Rand and Kat are lovers and we find out at the end that that's deliberate like Rand made sure that people thought that so that Kat would be protected when Kat was young so that people wouldn't assault Kat Um, and that's exactly what happens with Devin and Mary Um, like although it's a little different because Devin really wants it to happen but uh yeah I think that I think I think the Valeria scene is kind of where people like everybody on the ship because they had been idealizing Mary they thought that she was really fun and they they liked her and they liked being around her but that was kind of the point where they realized that oh she is breakable like she could she could die
1: That's yeah that feels so true and feels like a real clarifying moment because I think seeing the power imbalance in the beginning was exactly why I was like why are we heightening a power imbalance but I think it's to literalize it and make it clear for the people on the ship that like yeah she that makes so much sense that it's a tool to clarify for the characters Uh, what the stakes are it's also an incredibly long scene like
0: they like the depiction of the malaria cycle of the headache the fever and then the massive chills and then like this move she's sick with malaria for a huge amount of page space which is a weird thing to do because like whiff of death in a 1980s novel like du jour, du jour. But like for it to be this long <laughs> and this cyclical and like have it get worse as it cycles out after she's been alone on an island after burying a body and watching a crocodile surface it and eat it. um, <laughs> It's like an insane thing to do. And so like what the malaria does In another sense, like I think tells your point is perfectly well taken. It like literalizes the stakes. But the other thing that it does is that it created this massive separation between Devin and Mary. Like they don't actually speak together for the week that she's on the island. And then she's in and out of it. And then it does create this space because she's so sick. So the threat of his assault is at least put in a drawer. And they discover a courtship, right? Like, he jokes with her. They find, like, you know, animals and clouds and they, like, discover this mutual whimsy. And then she carries that with her into her malarial unconscious, which then surfaces a very sexual unicorn uh, at one point. <laughs> but it, like, it gives, it gives Devin a, a reason to have a respite from, like, she's a spy. I'm going to break her. I'm going to do all these things. And it's, like, No, you can't do that anymore because she's literally dying. Um, What are you going to do to make her last days less unpleasant?
1: It also gives him the opportunity to be self-sacrificing for Mary because he takes on the experimental medicinal cat administers. I don't know. Anyways, it works out. What was it? Were they making tonic for gin and tonics? That's what I assumed it was. (laughs) It's like quinine and arsenic. Yeah. Well, at one point, uh, Kat is like... There's one treatment from India and, like, looks off into the distance. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I think they're talking about quinine, like, tonic water.
0: I mean, it almost killed him. He was, like, not alive for three days, basically, which is also biblical. Yeah, he, like, literally disappears off screen for three days while he's recovering from whatever. But they had to give him the dose so that they could figure out how to dose her based on her weight, based on what they gave him.
1: Oh, really? It
0: was actually quite methodical. Cat is a jack-of-all-trades.
1: Cat is so capable. Cat really fills, <laughs> so like, true. a lot of the niches of your, like, typical romance love interests. Cat can do
0: anything. Cat's doing the most.
2: Yeah, and I did, like, y'all brought this up earlier, but, like, it is kind of incredible, like, how romantic they're willing to make Cat seem, like, how... And be confident enough in in Devon that they don't that they leave that in and they don't make it like into something where like Kat is actually competing for her affection or or there isn't. uh, Of course, the results are mixed because I I I know that there are a lot of people who are disappointed that Kat wasn't the love interest, but I I don't think they work together. I think that I think that. If we're talking about a power imbalance, like, even though Kat and Mary have a lot of similarities, it honestly seems like Kat and Mary have a pretty big power imbalance. Like, um, like Mary or Kat would absolutely be fully 100% in control of that relationship, and Mary would not really have any sort of, like, leverage over him.
1: No, and it would be, like, the only way that Kat could be happy is when he's fully in control for myriad reasons. He comes by honestly. But also Raven gets some really romantic moments. I love moments. Raven. Like he dives into the sea after her and he has to be like chained to keep from like pursuing her again when Devin discovers that she's a she really is a spy.
0: Mhm. Yeah, Raven's amazing. I also love the scene like moving into England where he shows up at the ball and he's like in the tree and he gives her an apple and like there's everything about him is like so charming and you know she's like I think she's aware that there could be like a jealousy thing and like this book never makes much hay of male jealousy which like oh my god so So refreshing oh but he's like no like You were going to marry him. Everybody knew that like it was going to end one way or the other. And it's like, this is how this is going to be. And like, I'm just trying to make sure that you're happy. Like, I want you to be happy. Is he making you happy? I'm not sure that he can, but like, if he can't, here's this apple and like I still love you no matter
1: what. <laughs> <laughs> Tries to buy her, go halfsies on her with Will Saunders. Yeah, at one point. because they don't think that Devin's
0: treating her right. And I also like that scene that you're talking about where he does, is he with sales trying to buy her? Will on Saunders. The show? Will Saunders, that's right, Will Saunders. And they like come up with this money and they're like and then Devon's like treats it earnestly and he's like, okay, why do you want to buy her? And they're like, because
1: you're not treating her
0: nice. They just want to let her
1: go. <laughs> I know,
0: they just want to buy her to let her go.
1: Sweet, sweet peas. Just a sh- pirate ship full of sweethearts. That's so true. I've, I, that's
2: why, kind of why I think the Windflower is like the ultimate fantasy in some ways, because it's like, you're on a pirate ship full of people that want you to be happy. Yeah!
1: <laughs> they <Exactly. laughs> just want to take care of
2: you, and like... Like, everyone loves you and
1: respects you to a certain degree. Because, like, yeah, as they will make fun of her, but they won't humiliate her. Should we talk about weirdest part, sexiest part? Yes. What should we do first?
0: I want to do sexiest part first.
1: Okay. What's your sexiest part, eager beaver? So...
0: I found this book incredibly sexy like dollars to donuts this is one of the sexiest books I've read this year um so like it was kind of hard for me to narrow it down and I certainly have a top three but like my number one is when she gets covered in sugar And yeah, she's like been in the cook's cabin or whatever. She's covered in sugar and everyone's like, why are you trying to make yourself a cake? Why are you trying to make yourself marzipan? Whatever, whatever. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And then she goes to her cabin and it's like a one bed scenario, which has also been incredibly adorable and funny and sexy because like she doesn't want to sleep with him. So then there's a scene where she's on the floor and then he brings in a hammock. Anyway, there's like a lot of there's a lot built into this cabin. And uh, Devin comes in and she's naked to the waist and she's got her crazy mermaid hair and she's trying to get the sugar off of herself and she turns at the sound so that like you can only see her through like the Wayne cabin light and she's like totally aglow but she's also like covered in sugar so she's literally crystallized and glowing. She's glittering. And then they have this insane scene where he's like licking the sugar off of her body and he's like got her in a chair and it's like she's like this is one of those moments where she doesn't want to give in but he's like you clearly want to give in like give into this and she's like I don't want to but like keep doing it I was like holy shit oh my god that was worth the price of admission like I didn't need anything else from this book and, and then it still went on Ugh. That was my sexiest part. What's yours?
2: Mine, mine seems kind of dumb now. <laughs> it's the, um, okay, so it's the original tavern scene. <laughs> uh, Mary is with her brother while they're spying and then in walk the pirates. And what the book does is it does the head to toe with every single one of them until we get to Devon. And so you're like, oh. So it's like, oh, it's Rand. He's really tall. He has long, dark hair. He's very muscular. He looks like this. He's incredibly hot. And I'm like, ah, Rand is the guy. Rand's the guy. And they're like, no. In comes (laughs) Cat. Beautiful (laughs) Norse boy. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful Nordic murder teen (laughs) with a long braid. (laughs) Cat's the one you should actually be afraid of because Cat will do things that you can't even think of beforehand. Beautiful man. No. Devin. Devin is actually average height, but he's beautiful as well. Blonde. (laughs) Apollo face. Extremely attractive. The only thing average about him is his height. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I found that quite, when I was reading it, was like, oh, he's average. Okay. Like, I, but yeah, only average thing. He's the most beautiful man in the world. Um, but yeah, I think that just like that lineup, just like them, just like us making us do a head to toe of every single man all at once. Like I was, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was very fun. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like if I hadn't been reading the names. Of people. well you didn't even know their names at that point mm-hmm. so
0: they just walked in and you're like here's the dark one here's the weird murder teen that you're gonna be attracted to but feel weird about <laughs> and here's Damn, the, one. Yes. the lineup is good that is a great scene
2: it's so good and like yeah Kat I've always thought this but Kat would have had an intense Tumblr fandom if this book came out in oh 2010 like I just know it
1: the deviant uh,
2: art Oh, oh my god, my the god you know, it would be beautiful like that is a beautiful so beautiful. beautiful young
1: man but it's awesome it, it has like that signature hairdo mm-hmm. yeah. so few people do my sexiest part is cat yeah and i remember reading it and being like oh no this is my sexiest part i love when we have the unicorn fever dream Where she's naked on the unicorn just to completely undo everything else I've said about horse sex over the course (laughs) of this novel. And then I love the discovery that she had like developed a crush on the seal, on the letter seal of Devin's family. But my sex – so when Devin is off the ship, Kat and Mary and Raven and Sails and all that, all those fabulous people – start to develop a friendship and a comfort level she eventually starts wearing cat's clothes and I was like (laughs) there's a scene where she's like laying her head on his hip and he's brushing out her hair and he brushes her hair every night and I was like oh my god but then my sexiest part is they go on shore and everyone's getting drunk except for cat and uh Cat is actually sitting at Mary's feet and he's hemming her pants while she's wearing them. Like there's all of these like incredibly like intimate physical moments leading up to this. And then Raven and Will Saunders are like going to te- – they're drunk and they want to teach Mary how to fire a cannon. And so they take her down to the hold and they're firing cannons and they're all having fun. And Cat's there too. And then everyone gets very quiet and serious Because Devin has arrived again and he, like, sees them. And Devin is obviously very attracted to Mary and he comes over and is, like, bossing her around like he does and is being very charming. And then he, like, demands that she, like, gets out of there. And as she's, like, exiting, it says that Cat pops up on the stairs in front of her very, very close to her face to tell her to be, like, weary of Devin. And I was like, oh, my God, he's so jealous because <laughs> he likes her so much. And she, like, it talks about, like, the feeling of his, like, breath on her face. Um, I was mortally devastated when they kissed and it was very moving for her, but in a way that she realized he did not feel the same way. Like, he was not moved in the way that he was able to move her. Not to be that Tumblr fandom, but I am that Tumblr fandom for cat. And there's lots of... We all are. Yeah. (laughs) But man, they really pack in those sex scenes at the end with Devin and...
2: It was like, you get like, it was just like the threat of rape until the
1: end. And then it's... And then it's just like tender lovemaking with a a kitten. There's a kitten. Yeah, there were...
0: Several kittens. It was quite soft they were in a barn <laughs> so sad no kittens were harmed in this post-coital
1: uh, <laughs> the cat was like a lot of my tipples he's very exacting he's very particular and then it was like more of my tipples she gets like fussed over <laughs> Um, it felt like a machine built to disappoint me at times <laughs> but that was still my sexiest part weirdest part
0: i went first last time so i won't take this first at bat
2: okay yeah i'll say it. okay i don't know if it's there is a lot of weird stuff in this book um but i think the point like so mary has the unicorn visions throughout the book like the very first line is her thinking about the unicorn while she's sketching through rutabagas and at the end, you find out that the unicorn is actually in part of Devin's ducal crest, which is hilarious. Um, and then so there's a scene at the end, which is kind of like their like canubial bliss, uh, where she's sketching Devin riding a unicorn. <laughs> and uh, I was like,
1: OK. <laughs> and he's likewise sketching her. Riding a unicorn,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then the,
2: but like Devin can't sketch. He lied. He was like, ah, oh, I have my fat because his his father was like a a botanist, I think who who did who drew. And he was like, ah, oh, I inherited my family's sketching abilities. And then the reveal is that he got it from his mom, who apparently no,
0: has no skill. Just trailing. Yeah, detritus all over that ducal house. I also like corollary love his mother and one of the things that I love most about her is that she has dust and like dirt under her fingernails and is described which is disgusting but endearing on her and she has a gap tooth like as wide as a full straw and when she gets nervous she worries the gap and I was like I don't know that I have ever read about British teeth in a romance novel
1: before. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a little lizardy. It's kind of a lizardy thing to do. Loved it. I was like, this is great. <laughs> One of the things that would scare me about being a romance author is writing about a house because I think that's where they really like reveal all of their values. Like, I think writing about a house as like a good house is such a personal thing. Like, I think contrasting this book, I probably over contrast this book with Judith McNaught, but Judith McNaught's houses are always like, covered in damask and, like, very rich and opulent and, like, well-managed. And one of our listeners messaged us and was like, my husband grew up in Judith McNaught's neighborhood and she used to walk her dogs out of the window of her jaguar.
2: That does not surprise me. (laughs) No, right?
1: And I feel like, aren't these folks from, like, Minnesota or Wisconsin? yeah.
2: They've had a bunch of different jobs. I think at one point, Tom was like a truck driver. Like they've like done all sorts. They're like a really interesting couple and they're very funny. They're
1: eclectic. Like,
2: yeah, they're
1: like beautiful home is eclectic, you know? Yeah. they are
2: people that I think you would want to know. Like I think I get that vibe. Like they have like 8 million stories and like probably like a lot of in jokes.
1: Yeah. Isabel, what was your weirdest part? So I like I actually struggled a
0: lot with weirdest part. Uh, I think my overarching, as we've talked about multiple times, is like I felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me on Kat at multiple points, like thought Kat was a woman, thought Kat and Rand were a thing. And then like none of it is true. All of it's disappointing. Um... And the the reason, like I just I felt those things so hard, and for none of them to be true was upsetting. This book is also just supremely weird. Like, <laughs> there's this like point where Mary's on ship, and uh, someone has brought up a, a squid. And they're, like, showing it to her. And she's, like, trying to get, like, her, like, she's trying to get brave enough to touch it. And then she, like, gets brave enough to touch it. And then she wants to have the squid sleep with her in the cabin, which is, like, this is, like, a weird thing. And then she has this escape attempt with the second cook, Meadows. And she brings the squid with her. (laughs) without bringing any clothes or like other necessities she brings the squid in a bucket and I was like I don't understand what this is supposed to be telling me about you other than that you are a total weirdo and don't know how to prepare for an escape attempt and like there's even a point where she like is putting her like hands on the bucket with the squid which she has developed this emotional connection to and, like, she's sleeping with a person who has told her that he'll, like, throw her over at his first opportunity. And, like, she just falls asleep with her, hand, like, her head next to the squid in the bucket. And I'm like, what is this interlude? Uh, like, I don't hate it. I, don't, I just don't understand what it is doing. But I kind of love it.
1: <laughs> well, the absence of this squid informed everyone else that she intentionally left yes exactly
0: they're like ah she took the squid but like she took the squid like wouldn't her taking her clothes have also alerted them to her intentionality like the whole thing is like there are so many other ways to broadcast that
1: there aren't ways to broadcast it without pointing out what like a kook she is and how in over her head she is (laughs) Like bringing extra clothes would have been a really well. She doesn't have her clothes. She only has uh cat's clothes. Cat's clothes, but like
0: yeah, another shirt she could have stolen from Rand. I mean, there are a number of like she has access to stuff. Like why the squid? That like the whole it was like it was just it was an adorably weird thing that I both loved and was like I'm gonna remember the squid in a bucket for quite some time. <laughs>
2: so
0: weird. It was remarkable.
1: was cute yeah
0: morgan what was your weirdest part
1: so i feel like i'm constantly just bobbing along on the waves of the cultural unconscious and like i have been watching our flag means death and then that's clearly inspired a lot of people talking about pirates again to a small extent like johnny depp being in the cultural zeitgeist again reminds me of pirates of the caribbean um and then also another podcast i listen to is doing a special on blackbeard and talking about like the history of pirates and their research is kind of like hit and miss so i've been like very self-conscious that i'm gonna like cite something they said as fact but there are, there are f- piratey facts that are alluded to in this book and there's also like like they're like talking about how valentine is a black man in a position of power on this boat but they don't but they're like and and he's our like one black guy (laughs) even though like that would have been not at all true and like you're going out of your way to like point out all of this stuff about like the racial history of pirate ships and then like that's all you're gonna do with it there's also like queerness on the high seas and it's constantly like teasing you with it or at least me like okay I thought there would be more gay stuff I realized that's my B like I am reading a romance novel from 1984 but it also like really teased it out I think or maybe it didn't and it's hard for me to know like what I'm bringing to this book and what this book is bringing to me which normally isn't a problem unless you have to talk about a book on a podcast but There's something about this text that almost feels like commentary on its contemporaries. There's not enough for me to, like, grab onto and say, like, that's true. And that's been my weirdest part.
2: This book does kind of, like, one thing that I think about a lot when I think about The Windflower is that um, a lot of the, when you're talking about, like, the books that came out around the same time, like, a lot of what they do is they, like, try to ground you in the absolute misery yeah of the time and then also kind of like use that as an excuse to be like horrible uh and i don't think that makes the windflower good uh because i think the windflower is kind of like existing in a place where it's like it references slavery but it also has no depictions of slavery like they're definitely they're absolutely in the caribbean at points and it's just like it's non-existent uh so like if Even though, like Mary references it at the very beginning when she's like deliberately not using sugar because of um, because she knows where it comes from, Um, there is so like I think Tom and Sharon Curtis like have like an awareness, and they I'm grateful that they didn't go kind of like the Diana Gabaldon Voyager route where it's just like here's the gritty reality with the white people as heroes but it is kind of strange to read about a very real place in time and a very real thing that kind of like exists in this fantasy world where these things aren't real which is very similar like similar to our flag means death like i don't want to compare to to it too much because our flag means death actually has like you know people of color involved whereas the windflower is tom and sharon curtis from i think the midwest <laughs> uh but that's kind of something that's That seems, like, notable for 1984. Um, And then the fact that I would still say, like, even though Rand and Kat aren't canonically lovers, like their relationship is queer like there's all the that this book is like incredibly comfortable with not only like letting you think that they're like having sex and that they're lovers and they're very tender with each other but like even if knowing that they aren't and still like examining their relationship after that there's like these are like two adult men who are like so comfortable and so loving toward each other that like cat was ready to disown his father who Granted, he didn't really care about, but he writes to his father and he says, like, if you imply that I'm infatuated with Rand again, I am not going to talk to you. Like, it, it does have like a complicated relationship with all of these other things. Like, I think it's like a fantasy for better and for worse. Uh, Yeah, I kind of I have a hard time thinking about the Windflower because of that, because every time I read it, I have a very good time. But then I'm also like. How do I place this? Like, what do I think? What are what are you telling me? What matters in this situation?
1: reading romance is, is so different from reading like I wanna tell people, like, oh, reading romance is just like reading any other genre. But I think like you go into romance wanting to be happy while you're having the experience. Like the angst, like everything's gonna be resolved. And I think as a result, whenever we're in a moment or in a particular consciousness that we are today reading something that was written in 1984 it can be really tempting to like create a headcanon that creates pleasure and i think for you personally and then it's hard to talk about it later on because you're like well am i giving this book more credit than it's given me mm-hmm. is it worthwhile to talk about the things i i wanted to be real, even though the book has gestures, but gestures are so, gestures create. I don't know <laughs> space for you to do that, anyways.
2: There, I think, especially if you like y'all read books from this era, so you know how different it feels. Like there is kind of like yeah, it's kind of like when you're. It's kind of like reading a. No, not really, like, reading a Judith Ivory, but, like, it does kind of, like, when you first read a Judith Ivory book and you're like, wow, there's, like, a lot of empathy and a lot of kindness here. Um, I I think, like, in kind of, like, a different direction because, like, Tom and Sharon Curtis lean into comedy mm-hmm. um, versus, like, kind of, like, that intense character study. But, like, you can tell that they like people and they like different types of people um, and the way... The, their villains are, yeah, their villains are villains more because of their actions and not necessarily because they fit, like, a certain villain archetype. This is kind of an era where a lot of the romance novels, like, hinge around cruelty in a lot of different ways. Like it, it they focus on the goodness of the heroine, but then, like, in order to contrast them, it's like, oh, well, this person is fat, so they're awful, or, like... Etc. And Tom and Sharon Curtis don't really do that. You can tell that they're they like people. They, they, they find people funny and even if someone's like weird they think it's fun. Like they're having a good time and therefore we're
1: also having a good time. And like Rand who draws this whole process out we find out is like the puppet master of all of this like cruelty that Kat describes is doing so because he believes like the greatest value a person can have is how interesting they are. And, like, creating more interesting people is how you, like, put people on a path towards happiness. There's an amazing line that Kat
0: says about, or maybe it's, like, the the Omniscient Third says about Rand, where he doesn't demand potential do anything. He just gives it space to grow. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't know I needed to read that. <laughs> Like I like and like I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about this book and as you're saying, Chels, like this idea that like when you have authors who genuinely care for people. Kathleen Woodowis has a book that takes place in the Caribbean that also doesn't really mention slavery except obliquely. And it is not as much fun as this. And it is not as interested in building a family we choose as this book is yeah there there's a there are a lot of really really wonderful pieces to this and that also makes it hard because like the gender politics continue to be weird she don't know she beautiful
1: and like you know there's also something like more satisfying to me about this than a lot of romances that are published in our current moment who have like a very intentional project as far as like having a pedagogy, like they want to teach you something about the world and tell you something about the world. And this book is much more interesting. Like that whole chosen family thing is so true in every page, but it's not going to lecture, like there's not a point at which Kat's like, I consider these people my chosen family. A chosen family is your (laughs) family, which is... I understand like the purpose, but it also seems like like this book isn't trying to teach you anything. I totally get what you mean. I
2: think something like that I've noticed in a lot of uh, more modern, especially more modern historicals is that they will um, they can't really imagine telling a feminist story where people wield alternative means of power like feminism in ways where someone says, is feminism in those stories is I'm a woman and I can do anything that you can, or like voting. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Or like kind of like our most like basic ideas of kind of like what that entails where there are actually a lot of stories that some are older, some are newer where like, it's, it's feminist, not just because of like a woman acting the way that you think that men do um, or like, it's it's feminist and like what it's trying to tell you about our gender dynamics and and about how how like sometimes that you're put in a really tough position and you have to make a difficult choice. And are you not feminist because you do that? So that's kind of I, I think in some ways, I think the Windflower, it's probably not the best example, but I think Windflower is very clear that Mary is in over her head continuously. And Mary also berates herself uh, for not being spunky enough or smart enough to get out of her situation. Um, So Mary is enough. Like she is brave. She just doesn't understand. She doesn't have that context. She doesn't have like the people looking out for her or to explain things to her. But I yeah, I don't think that anything that she desires or wants or anything that kind of comes out of her relationship is like is negative or anti-feminist. I think that Mary is just like kind of like a complicated person. She's she is quite beautiful and everyone loves her. But she's also uh, an awkward, overprotected girl child, (laughs) as she calls herself.
1: Yeah. And I I think like Mary's like, existence is radical, I think because she does, like, imagine something different for herself. Like, she says I was already prepared to be a spinster so if you ruin my reputation <laughs> no I don't give a f- Like, I'm already prepared for this life and, but she also, like talks about being, like, really uncomfortable wearing men's clothes, and I think there's something about, like, being honest about that stuff, like, being honest to th- that feels true to the character, and that feels right, and that you know, the people she admires, like her brother, are doing something kind of outside of the norm. And mm-hmm. I, I also think, like, something that feels feminist about this book is that there isn't this problem of, like, one good man. Like, all of these men in this book are good, and even though they sexually desire her, they don't do anything, like, lascivious about it. Like, even Rand. Like, they are respectful and like open and communicative about it but not gross and not violent and I think that's where the windflower felt like the most radical to me because every single man I encountered for the first 50 pages I was like oh god you know (laughs) I was getting like I love Joanna Lindsay but I was getting Joanna Lindsay flashbacks where I was like which one of them is gonna do it like which one and none of them did and they were actually all cool about it and they also weren't like sexless you know they were whole and they were whole people who were also interested in having sex with her who weren't forcing the issue or being cruel or inappropriate about it or acting entitled to her and the book always makes the point of like that's it's only because devin it's only because Devin says she belongs to him, but I still think the depiction is worthwhile. It feels it feels good.
0: Especially in the absence of Devin when he's not on the black joke because then like that the threat of Devin is no longer present and like he's not like he hasn't been depicted enough as of a character at that point for me to really feel like it's his imposition. Like at that point I was like, it's Rand. But Rand doesn't seem to have a sexual animus in her really. It's, it's quite weird. Gosh. Thank you for bringing this book into our lives. It's, it's quite fun. It's very, it's very nice because like I, I like. Yes, it is.
2: It's a trip. The things that y'all picked up on and also like talking about the book for so long. Like, yeah, I can do this book talk great yeah i'm not (laughs) limited
1: you're ready for the two hour no limit tiktok update to come out yeah if they ever
2: do that i will be i've got 10 minutes now we'll see (laughs) i don't nobody will watch that
0: I don't think that's true. I think you're incredibly compelling on BookTok. Uh, and when Morgan brought you into my life, because truth be known, I'm not on TikTok, but Morgan curates an incredible TikTok f- feed for me. <laughs> <laughs> and when you started coming in and featuring heavily, I was like, ooh. And then Morgan's like, what do you think? We should invite her on. I was like, oh, yes, we should invite them on. Absolutely. That seems like an amazing thing. So thank you. This has been really, really enjoyable. And this book was so fun to talk about. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you
1: so much for having me. Awesome. Any parting words or any, where can people find you just as a reminder? Okay. Yes. Um, I am chels underscore
2: eBooks on TikTok. Um, I'm also that on Instagram, although, you know, not, not as much. And also that on Twitter, but with two underscores because somebody else Mm -hmm. took the
1: first time. We've got a weird Twitter yeah. name, too. Oh, you're like Mance Woe? I wish we would have just thought of two underscores.
2: Yeah, I saw it. I was like, huh, that's that's actually quite funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: You don't have to be kind about it. Yeah. I like it. Congratulations
1: on not choosing an onomatopoeia for your title. Yeah, That's absolutely. also <laughs> a huge regret in our lives. Wait, is there a lot of woe Like, No, it's just like no one spells it. Like, why would you ever spell it? Like, yeah.
2: okay. <laughs> I, I At understand. least not the way we do. But right. Doing great.
1: Uh, it was such a pleasure having you join us. Um, thank you so much for your time and your recommendation. Uh, it's just always a great book whenever we have guests. And so we are so gracious that you were able to join us. With that. Loosen your stays. Never your principles. Mm-hmm. Mwah.
0: Original music by Nick Gravlin.
1: And our web mistress
0: is Jane Bonzack. They're the best.
1: You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review, or even check us out on Patreon.
0: If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we
1: want to reach out, please email romancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Romance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.